Well, uh, blessed people, welcome to our lunch hour program today. And uh, today we are going to continue from where we stopped yesterday. I'm told that uh, all the university student fellowships have been informed. They're all tuned in across the entire nation. And I know that sometimes they're in touch with the other universities in Uganda and other nations, the faculty, the professors, and the students. So this is a very, very big, a huge lunch hour session tonight. And uh, I also know that probably you've just walked out of your offices uh, having your lunch break, you know. During this time we are fasting, so probably you are simply sitting there with your book reading in the office or you've stepped out into the gardens. But uh, today serves me with such a wonderful privilege again to come to you and advance the conversation we are having yesterday on the fact that uh, when we look at the way the Lord Jesus himself defined his church, we read some scripture, we read the book of John chapter 10, and we saw that the Lord came out very vividly clear to define who is his sheep, who is his disciple, who is his follower, who is the Christian, the true Christian believer. And when we read from the book of John chapter 10, verse 27, during that uh, midweek service, and tonight we have a service too, uh, John 10, 27, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. That means they are obedient to him. When he speaks, they, are pay, they pay attention to him. And this becomes very important because we are sitting on the verge of eternity. We are sitting very close to the rapture of the church. And so it's going to be very important to be able to understand all the markers, the marks that define the true believer, the true Christian, the true follower of Christ, that on that day you may not tarry, you may not make a mistake. Uh, eternity is such a long time. Eternity in heaven is such a very, very long time. And eternity in hell is such a very, very long, horrendous time undergoing condemnation and judgment of the Lord. And so you want to get this one right, regardless of which nation you come from, the kingdom of God is near. You can see the signs. When I prophesied the coronavirus more than four years ago, people thought it was a joke until it came to pass with the finest details lack of equipment, there will be over flooding in hospitals, lack of equipment, I see culturing, meaning they would require research as a new pathogen, new disease, and I say it, it would create a global shaking, a global, what I call the, to drop the globe, and all that is fulfilled. These are signs that tell you that surely time has changed. But uh, we saw very clearly yesterday during our lunchtime break, that the Lord defines this particular church that Jesus talks about that are his own. He calls them his own, and you see that they are given to him by God the Father. He says that the Father gives him. My Father has given them to me, verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. And I, he says, at the end he says, I and the Father are one. So that is in the context under which he describes his sheep, his true followers, the church that will enter the kingdom of God, the church that will enter the kingdom of heaven, the church for whom he went to prepare the mansions that you see in the book of John 14, verses 1 to verse 3. And he defines them here. Again, we are reading to start to do a head start on this. We are reading the book of John chapter 10. I'm reading 27. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. So we took just a simple a little aspect of that entire narrative, the paradigm, the model he has set up there about his sheep, that they listen to his voice. And that became a big question to this generation. Is the present-day church really listening to Christ? If they were listening, would they be in that much sin? Instead, you see a church that is totally heedless, disobedient. They have not paid attention to the words of Jesus or to what Jesus says. When the Lord says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, that make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. For without holiness, nobody gets to see the Lord. They, they have not obeyed that. Those are the words of Jesus himself, the words of the Lord. All scripture, remember, is breathed and equipped and competent to rebuke, to, 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 to chastise, uh, to, to, to straighten, to correct, and to, to bring righteousness to man. And so he's saying here in the book of John chapter 10, verse 27, defining his true church in this very rotten and depraved generation, he says, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. 
So we simply took one little aspect of following Jesus. And I asked you the question yesterday, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And that is what I want to advance on tonight. And we'll be making progress every single day on this particular aspect of defining the true church of Christ in this age. And so what does it mean to follow Jesus? And we saw that the scripture that really draws out the benchmark on following Jesus is your scripture in the book of Matthew, as we saw yesterday, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 22, where he defines out, he sets out the stakes, the bounds on call, the call to follow him. He says, Matthew chapter 4, again I repeat for those who have joined us for the first time today, verse 18 he says on, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. That does not seem uh, a very uh, a discussable comment. He's not making a comment to them that should be debated. That sounds more like a command. So when Jesus calls you a command, he that knows what is best for you, he that created you, he that knows the perilousness of not following him, of excluding him from your life and the transactions of your life. He gives this command. The way he places it here is a command. He says, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And then verse 20 says, at once they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21, he says, going out from there, going on from there, you saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing the nets. When they were preparing the nets, Jesus called them. Again, come follow me, is the call. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. We say that this is very symbolic. This draws out the proper paradigm, the proper blueprint of what it means to, call, to follow Jesus, to, fo- to get the call of God and follow him. And today I just want to increase and put in one more uh, scripture before I explain to you, advance this conversation. If you turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, you can read with me. From verse 1 it says, one day, because Luke comes out more openly now, Luke presents much more information that really goes a long way to help us even the prophetic act that Jesus was performing there that relates to you that are tuned in now. Maybe you've just walked out of your office uh, to take lunch break, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're an engineer, a banker, whoever it is, you're a secretary, you're just a common person at home having lunch, you know, a teacher, it does not matter. That paradigm of calling applies to us all, and I will explain to you why. And he says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake, so Luke comes out and gives greater detail. By the lake of Gennesaret, this is the same lake as Gennesaret. It's called the Galilee in Ivrit, or Kineret. You see, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So you can see that before Jesus called his disciples, his ministry had already begun. And that should really bring to correction the notion that when the Lord calls you, then it entirely depends on you to do A, B, C, D, up to Z. No, the ministry of God always continues. The ministry of Jesus always continues. The ministry of the Lord supersedes, transcends a single human being and their efforts. We see here very clearly that at the time when Jesus is doing this, calling his first disciples, and why is he calling these first disciples? Because these are going to be the most instrumental inner circle of Jesus. They're going to be the disciples that will have to go to the, when, when others cannot be available on some critical moment like a transfiguration, they're going to be there. These are going to be the disciples which are, who are going to constitute the inner circle. They're going to be given a lot of entrustment. They're going to be entrusted with tremendous responsibility. And that's why they are calling it such a model for you, the church. And these are common people. These are not philosophers. They are not professors of law. They are not professors of medicine or psychology. They were not bankers, engineers, architects. These are common people. That should really speak to you. You are tuned in today that the Lord is able to call all people. Nothing about your state of being as of now should ever impede God's calling in your life. And these people will turn out to do greater work. They'll walk out with power. They'll raise cripples. They'll do things. They'll establish the church that you have until today. And that should, be, should serve as a great encouragement 
to all of you wherever you are that God can use you a great deal even beyond what your imagination can portray. And so he's saying here in the book of uh, Luke chapter 5 that one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him, meaning he was already doing ministry and listening to the word of God. He saw the water, again, he saw the water's edge, he saw at the water's edge two boats left by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, and the one belonging to Simon, look at the prophetic act, and then he asked him to put out, to put it out, to push it out a little from the shore, so that it's now in the water, so he can address them and the heap, you know, the heap of people on the shore. Then he sat down and told, he sat on the boat, in other words, and told the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the net for the net for a catch. Look at the prophetic act at the calling. And that should apply to all of you here. He says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. This is such a hierarchical conversation in this prophetic uh, utterance Jesus is making here about his church and evangelism. And he's saying, uh, at this time, that place the net, and they say, no, but we've been walking here all night, we caught nothing. So he's saying, without the effort of the Lord, even the church, let's say you've been called, and you're a pastor, you're an evangelist, you're now a Christian, you're, you're working for the Lord, you cannot achieve the mission of God except that you receive the divine help of the Lord. When they lower the net, look at what happened. Simon answered, Master, we worked all, hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say, I will let down the net. When he had done so, they caught such a huge number of fish that their nets began to break. Look at the prophetic act Jesus portrays. He performs by the Sea of Galilee to talk about the evangelism that will bring you that attuned in salvation. That's why you are born again today, those who are born again. Look at how Jesus portrayed it. Says, even though nothing is here now, even though I have not even gotten my disciples, but this is going to be a tremendous catch. We're going to need other boats. We're going to need many more boats to, to be able to cope up with this catch that is going to take place in the house of the Lord. So he said, when they had let down, when he had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners on the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at the feet of Jesus. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And now look at the place from where Jesus calls people when they are sinful. All this is by design. The Lord set this up by design. He is not looking for people that are well-polished, righteous, right-standing. He said, I came to the lost sheep. He said the doctor only comes to those who are ill, those who are sick, those that need treatment. He does not go to the healthy. So he says here, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John and the, son, the sons of Zebedee, Simon Peter. Hmm? Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. From now on, you will be, in other words, fishers of men. From now on, you will fish for people. You want to perform that act. To let them understand that what is impossible with man and nature, God, in his design and divine setting, will accomplish it for as long as one thing. You simply obey the Lord and submit yourself to the will of God. The biggest impediment in the life of man and the church is this fact of living for self, denying God his will to take reign over your life. And so, so they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed Jesus. Now look at that now. They have just made a serious catch. 
If it were you, you'd, in the U.S., you would have called it a jackpot. In Europe, you could, you could have said, I have hit a jackpot. You have hit $159 million, the huge jackpot. U.S., Canada jackpot. Or Europe, what jackpot? Africa, America, what jackpot? Huh? They have just hit a jackpot. But when they get to hear the words of Jesus, when Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. You, in other words, you will be fishers of man. So they pulled their boats up to the shore, left everything, the wealth of the earth. These were, remember, these were professional fishermen. They were fishing not for charity, but they were fishing to make profit as a business, to prosper. They had ambitions, they had egos, they had their personal projections in life. These were settled people. And so I want to use this now to be able to advance our conversation yesterday on what it means to take up the calling of God to follow Jesus. And we see that when the Lord Jesus calls them and says, follow me, the call to discipleship, when he's calling his discipleship, disciples, that call is totally inseparable from the call to salvation. So it really applies to you that are tuned in all over the globe, all over the world. You are also being called by Jesus in this tremendous calling. That call that you see is calling the disciples to come to him. It's not, you know, because many people have attempted to separate this calling or the name disciple or follower. They have attempted to separate it from the church membership, from being a member of the church. And I'm here to tell you that once you are a member of a congregation, then you have the same very calling that Jesus levied, laid upon the lives of his, his disciples. Because we are all called to evangelize the great light that they may not perish into hell or go through the judgment of God on the final day. So when you look at this calling, this calling that is laying upon them, it applies to everybody that is born again. So the call to Christianity, to salvation, is totally inseparable from discipleship. Because your purpose is one and only to reach out. If you read the book of Matthew 28, if we turn to Matthew 28, you will understand why it is totally inseparable. In the book of Matthew 28, it says from verse 18, verse 18 of Matthew 28, blessed people, it says the following. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You remember too well that vision of November 1, the year 2006, at 3 a.m. in the morning, the vision that has become, become the foundation of this big revival you see now, the cloud of God has come. I have commanded rain to open in Kakamega, in Joro, Eldamaravin, in Kisi, Lagos, Nigeria, Lima, Peru, and Menengai, Nakuru. The, the Lord has now repeated First Kings 18 all over and established it. But these are the stripes of his that speak to you. But before then, and this calling here is such a foundation, blessed people. We see that he commands heaven to open in 2005, and then now, this mission here, this vision of November 1, the year 2006 at 3 a.m. in the morning, when heaven opened, and he showed me the golden glorious wedding ring that he brought spiritual and placed in heaven at the entrance. And then you remember the second part of that vision, the voice of God says, look and see who is seated on the white horse. And when I look, I see inside heaven, I see this tremendous study big, huge, glorious white horse of God that is running all over the expanse of heaven. And when I looked at who is riding, I saw the glory of God seated on him. And then the voice said, from today on, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ Jesus. I've shared this globally. I've come with it to North America. I've sent America, the islands, Latin America, to, 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 to Chile. I've come with it to Brazil. I've gone all over Europe. I've taken to Asia, taken to Australia, New Zealand, everywhere, Africa. And so, this, this tremendous statement here is very key, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of God the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I'm saying, the call to discipleship, the call to salvation, can never be separated from the call to discipleship, to be a disciple, to be a worker of Christ. We are all called to go and make disciples of all nations. This is very powerful, blessed people. And so, 
The call to follow me applies to us all. And to make all nations into disciples. Look at what happens in Matthew chapter 16 before we continue. Matthew 16, 24. He says the following. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You see that now? So all of you have been called to follow Jesus in like manner as the disciples did. And that calling is not any different from the calling the disciples had because you are to advance the cause for the light, the cause for the gospel. Remember, he came as the light that went to the land of Naphtali and Zebulun, the land that was under the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, to bring light there. It has gone there. And that is the mission in giving, you know, to bring light to the extra ends, the extremities of the earth. And so he's saying, when you look at these scriptures I've read for you, you see very clearly that Christian life, is supposed to be a life of self-denial. He's calling you to self-denial because they have just caught a bumper harvest, what you'd call a jackpot. Their boats are over flooded. And then they push the boats to the shore, abandon them and follow Jesus. That is so tremendous. He's using that to emphasize that the Christian calling is a life of self-denial, that you may deny self. And there's no better way to serve him than that. That is what the Lord is saying. And he's saying that you cannot follow him when you attempt to still follow the world. In other words, if they were to say, Lord, give us time to sell the fish. Since we have gotten the bumper harvest, this is a miracle. This is checks in the mail, whatever the gospel of prosperity puts it like. But the issue is, they abandoned that when they heard the treasure of the words of Jesus. So my question to you is that what is it that you have abandoned? that are, are string that were pulling you in an opposite direction in order to follow Jesus. What is it that you have abandoned? If you look at your life, to follow Jesus effectively, there are things that pull you towards the wealth of the earth, the things of the world, that you must disconnect from. The way they packed the boats full of fish, we were never told who went to, buy, to take the fish and sell out and make money. But you cannot follow Jesus, then attempt to still follow the world. That's what he's saying. It is virtually impossible. So he's saying that if anyone lives for self, this kind of living you see on the earth today, they cannot be Christians. That's essentially what the Lord is underscoring here. That if you are to get to follow the Lord, to follow him, then he's saying you are following him, following his lifestyle. To be a disciple is to go and learn from him. That's why it's in the book of Acts they say, all we can share with you is what we heard and saw from Jesus. He is calling upon you to come and see him and learn from him, and follow him, so you can serve him in like manner. You can testify what you heard and saw. The wonders, the miracles, the message of righteousness. And that's why he's saying, if you are to follow Jesus, you must be aware that he is following you, according to the book of Matthew 11, uh, 16, 24. He is going towards the cross. So he's telling you to follow him to the cross. He says, I'm going to the cross, so follow me to the cross. And it makes you quickly understand the treasure that lies beyond the cross. And that is what the disciples saw. They were quick to see the treasure, the heaven, the eternal life, the salvation beyond the judgment of God that lies the other side beyond the cross. And that's why they were totally convinced to follow him. And when you follow him, he says it's not easy. It's a life of following the cross. The cross is painful. The cross is about suffering on this earth, denied, rejected. So it's a, the Christian life is a life of suffering for that matter then. Self-denial, separation, persecution. That is what he's calling the church to. So when he says, my sheep know me and follow me, then now you begin to understand better who his church is. And if you use those benchmarks I've given you today, the yardstick of self-denial, suffering, embracing the cross, embracing self-denial, embracing suffering, embracing a separated Christian lifestyle, embrace separation being holiness, embracing persecution, that alone will tell you that the present-day church needs to go into a deep national and universal repentance. Because they have not lived these virtues here, the virtues of suffering for Christ, the virtues of embracing the cross. The cross. They, they have not embraced self-denial. They have not embraced separation and holiness. They have not embraced persecution. But instead they have become porous. They have lived their lives in porosity, the Christian porosity that you see 
that has really brought apostasy in the present-day Christian life. So essentially, the Lord Jesus was saying that living for him, following him, is to live for him, which is an exact opposition, opposite of living for self. That Christianity and following Jesus will definitely nullify any living for self that you had out there. It will now turn around your life. Why? Because these disciples had livelihoods. They had families for Christ's sake. They were taking their children to raise, to bring up. They had fathers and families and networks of friends and alliances and partners, businesses to run. But when they followed Jesus, their lifestyle was totally disrupted. The Lord totally came and disorganized their earthly lives, deconstructed, in other words, that they may be able now to pay attention to his life, the life that he's giving to them, making them disciples. And if you look at the book of Luke chapter 5, verse 10, Luke 5, 10 tells you the following. Even as we had advanced during this lunch outbreak, blessed people, Luke 5, 10, look at what he says there. He says very clearly that, And so were James and John, the sons of the baby, Simon's partners. So they were partners together in their business. Hmm? Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So the bumper harvest, the bumper catch that you, you have caught in this sea is a prophecy, a symbolic of how God is going to use you to harvest mankind to be able to establish his church. So living a life in the calling to follow Jesus is a serious calling. Why? Because he's saying, in realization that there is heaven beyond this earth, then that calling of follow me becomes of serious gravity. It lays down gravitas now to the entire paradigm of what Jesus was executing by this lake. If you're aware that there is heaven, then that calling now picks on gravity. Number two, if you're aware that there is hell, then now you begin to understand why it was important that they abandoned everything and followed Jesus. Number three, if you're aware that there is a final day of judgment coming and every single person will have to be held to account, then now you begin to see the gravity of that follow me, that statement, follow me, bearing on this entire conversation. And so Jesus disrupts. He came and distorted their lives Man living with families and children and businesses to follow him. So his words that he said, follow me, as we saw, they produce faith and belief. And they're very powerful. They have efficacy. They have a tremendous efficacy. And so they essentially, the words follow me, essentially because of their efficacy, how efficacious they are, they become a summon. It is Jesus summoning mankind from the world. Follow me. If you know that there is heaven, and you know that there is hell, and you know that there is hell fire, you know that there is the final day of judgment, then follow me. He that created you, that knows what is best for you, he commands you and summons you. Follow me. And if you look at the sea, the, the, the lake, the, the sea from which they were fishing, that represents the world. And the fishing nets that were laying down represents the desires of the world. How mankind and the flesh desire the world. They were laying their nets into the water to be able to take forth so much of the world. And that reminds me of one of the visions the Lord showed me in the year 2013, which I'm going to share tonight during our Friday night service. Those of you who are tuned in who have not been uh, into our night services, we have a tremendous global all-night service that begins at about probably 11, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock around. Maybe tonight we'll begin earlier. We'll begin around 7 o'clock, 7.30. There'll be, there's a tremendous night service. And those who are healed, the cripples that walked during the previous healing service on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, about a week and a few days before, those who are healed in Finland, those who are healed in Uganda, the deaf ears that popped up in Ghana, in Uganda, and the cripples that walked Mozambique, including this tremendous testimony in Pennsylvania, the USA, my daughter there that was gunned down, eight bullets were pumped on her, and she was declared for dead until the mother, Leslie, they sent, finally they sent this prayer request, Meredith. She's even in the news, the U.S. news, when she was in her deathbed, she was going away. And I, I, I made one command in the mighty name of Jesus. And I said, it is well. 
So tonight you are going to see how it was reported how the U.S. police were running up and down late roadblocks and all that. So tonight is going to be very big. But I'm saying one thing, that uh, before that, we have this tremendous message on following Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be his disciple and follow him? Many times uh, the Christians attempt to separate it from the calling to be a pastor, the calling to evangelize. He says, when you look at the manner in which Jesus calls people today, it can be quite disruptive. I mean, it can disrupt lives, you know, because you see, they had livelihoods. They had already made their own projections, how much profit they would make, how they would earn a living as fishermen with their fathers, their families, their family outfits to serve. They had goals in terms of their incomes, their children and family to support and raise, children to raise. They, they were pursuing kingdoms, I mean, their wealth, their businesses. Hmm? And so, when the Lord now calls, he calls you to follow him into the kingdom of God. What we see very clearly there is that that calling, contrary to what the present-day church, the misnomer she has embraced, it is not meant to come so that you may serve mankind, you serve your livelihood. No. When he said, follow me, Jesus said, follow me, he calls you to serve the kingdom of God. You can only become a better father, a better who and who, if you followed him to serve the kingdom of God. It's not vice versa. But you see now, the present day church has misunderstood a lot of things, where he makes the disciples abandon the wealth of the earth, those two boats full of fish, that family business of fishing, the baby himself was there as their father. When he says, follow me, they are compelled to abandon him and the wealth of the earth. And yet the present-day pastors in the USA, they will tell you, checks in the mail, that when he went and did this, someone gave him a key, keys to private aircraft. When he went and did this, someone gave him big mansions, big, gave him a big check in the mail and so forth. No, 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 no. That is contrary to the calling of Jesus that he laid in the Word, the original calling of the Lord to you, the believers. It is meant to come and serve the kingdom of God. God's calling to you was never meant for God's kingdom to serve you. No, it is not to serve mankind. It is for mankind to all come together and serve the kingdom of God. But in the process, God will now come with reprieves. He will help you. You make you a better father, a better mother, a better student, a better teacher, a better lawyer, a better whoever you are. So this is some of the most important aspects of that paradigm he sets up, sets up in the book of Matthew chapter 4, 1822. But what amazes me is that he's very invasive. He is very intrusive, in other words, if you use other words. It's very, it really penetrates, the calling of God penetrates into the deep family. Very invasive. And it really, it, it, it now disrupts the faith, what you have set up. It disrupts it. And it disrupts family structure. That is just the truth of the calling of God. When you start telling people you're born again, there are people, members of your home, even your husband might tell you, because you go to that church where they dress holy, I'll divorce you. It's very, very serious what we see in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, 18 and 22. Because he's saying that it is very disruptive. It's very, it, it really it reconstructs the familiarity around you. These are people who are already settled. Their career, their family, their father. But he abandons the baby there to follow the calling of God. And they moved away from their families to go and their work and their careers and profession as fishermen to go serve God. That, that is just astounding. If that is what the calling of God is entailed in, I mean entails, then we have to remodel our lives as Christians to this today. Because today people prefer to abandon Jesus for the sake of family. But the calling of God requires that you walk away if, if need be, you walk away unless they are drawn to the Lord. You have to walk away to Yahweh because you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ alone. You won't say, oh, you see, Lord, my father, my mother, you know, they never allowed me to be born again. That will not fly on that day. It's just amazing what happens here. How their lives are totally re reconstructed anew as they follow Jesus.
And now the words of Jesus have such serious efficacy, penetrate their hearts. And they're totally in belief and faith now. And he says, Jesus calls us, therefore, for that matter, to come out and fish men from the sea. That sea represents uh, the, the world. And I'll give that vision tonight when the Lord showed me the fish in the sea and so forth. I've only shared it globally, but we can share more tonight at the global service. That fish, that, that sea represents the world from which to call the sheep. But for the physical fish, when you remove them from that world, they die. Yet for the current fish, the spiritual fish of Christ, is that they are dying in that sea. That's why in that vision you see they were floating. Those that had been... In that vision I'll share tonight again. But in the world they are dying. It's the contrary. When you remove the physical fish from the lake, they die. But in the contrary, you are sent out to fish man from the sea where the enemy is, the world, where they are dying, and bring them to life and life eternal. So it's really a tremendous uh, uh, remodeling of the entire physical life that you see here. And so he's calling them to catch the fish, to come and disciple, to come and, and evangelize Jesus. And he's saying that most people today, they, they, they are called, you know, when they are called out, called out to serve Jesus, they think they have been called out to come and pursue money in the church. And that's where the misnomer is, to become better in the things they are doing in the world. No. You are meant to come and now serve God, to discover God. So each of you is called by Jesus to follow him as a Christian, that you may receive salvation and then evangelize the light. Again, it's centered on serving the kingdom of God. Serving Jesus, serving Jehovah Yahweh, serving the cause for the kingdom. And we see very clearly that when they follow Jesus, they become useful then. I know they were offending for the families. Jesus is very much aware. He's not blind to that. But he calls them to now serve the greater kingdom. And he knew exactly they had goals, they had achievements set to impress their families with their incomes, with how much they can send for their children and families and raise them, responsible parents. So when we are called to follow Jesus, it's not to make you better in that fishing in the world, in what you're doing as a banker, a lawyer, but you can only become a lawyer, but to make you better in serving God, it can only make you a better lawyer, yes, all in the fact that you've given in to serving God. It's not the other way around. You're not called to come and uh, profiteer, profit, you know that. And it's amazing because as you see their lives, you look at Andrew was crucified. John died at old age, but at one point we were told he placed in boiling oil and did not die. Peter was crucified upside down. He pleaded with them. He said, please crucify me upside down. So this calling that the Lord is calling you to and then saying, pick up your cross and come follow me. And I said, the cross symbolizing the suffering that mankind would go through. You suffer so much. Persecution, self-denial, separation, all the trials. Eh? The, the, the symbolism of picking up your cross and crucifying yourself. But he's saying that once you come into the calling and learn from Jesus, because remember to be a disciple is to learn from him, to see and hear, to learn from him, that he may do it now when he goes, do it in like manner. But now when the Lord calls you it, and you discover the treasure of what lies beyond this life, what he's talking about, the kingdom coming, then the cross, which was a, which was a symbol of a curse, the cross had become the symbol of a curse because curse is he that hangs on the cross. The cross now becomes a treasure. That's why you see Peter, when he was being crucified, he said, no, crucify me upside down because Christ has already been crucified like that. So make me, and they crucified him upside down. Andrew said, crucify me with my cross tilting to the soil because Christ has been crucified already. They embraced the cross. And that is the calling to follow me. In other words, he's saying, follow me to the cross. That you too may be crucified and enjoy the life after, beyond the cross, eternal life, the eternal kingdom of God. And if you look at the entire aspect of calling, Jesus did not call his disciples 
At that time, at that lake, we were professors, doctors, philosophers, astronomers, physicists, surgeons, economists. He called simple people. Fishermen are mostly literate. But when he called them, he uses that now to emphasize to you that if Jesus could use them, then he can use everybody, even including the highly learned. That everybody can serve the Lord. And now you see the same disciples going around, evangelizing, raising cripples, defending the gospel before the Sanhedrin. And that's why he's saying that all of you have been called. It's a serious calling to holiness. It's a Christian calling, calling you to a separate Christian life, to separate set apart from sin, to be separated from the moral decay of this world, the sinful life that you see in this world. That is what he's talking about. That's all he's talking about here. He's saying, if you read with me the book of Psalm, Psalm 15, if you get time, I can read for you if you're in your lunch break somewhere. Uh, You don't have to look for a Bible, but these days you can accept them in your phones also. The book of Psalms 15, I'm reading 1 and 2. To help you understand the calling that he's saying, follow me, follow me to a life that is holy, to the holy kingdom of God, to holiness, to separation. He says, again, the book of Psalms chapter 15, I'm reading 1 and 2. He says, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live in your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, emphasizing the fact that the calling he has levied on you is a holy calling because there's no way you can evangelize the holiness of Jesus or the holiness of the Christian salvation except that you yourself is living it, you are living it. And if you check the book of Isaiah right next door, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. When the Lord was calling Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, say, follow me, calling Isaiah to follow him. He says, and they were calling out one another, talking about the seraphim before the throne of God. And they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so, that is the calling that the Lord is laying before this generation. He's calling you to be Christians, that as you are called, you may understand that He, the Lord Himself, your Creator, He is holy. And He is totally separated from evil, from sin, from the moral decay of this world. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men, and to be holy. And then He finishes by saying, For without holiness... Nobody will see the Lord. As you are sitting out there in the gardens there, or you are somewhere in a restaurant listening to me during lunch break, or just in your office, or with friends out in the city square, are you aware that God is looking for a holy church of Christ? Are you aware that right now as we speak, God Almighty is looking for a holy church of Christ? If you see the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, if you turn there, 1 Peter 1, 16, it says the following. It says, 1 Peter 1, 16. Okay, 15 is even better. It says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So he's using this aspect of follow me, this calling of follow me, to make you understand that he's calling you to a separated Christian life, a separated life, a life set apart from sin. And I want to ask you that today in your morning session in that law firm, in that doctor's clinic, in that hospital, in that bank, in that office, in that tax office, in everything that you do, wherever it is, a teacher, in that classroom, in that school, have you endeavored to set yourself apart from sin? Because that is the calling he has given us, to be set apart from sin, to be separated from sin. And you see very clearly that he is not calling you to what he is not, because he wants to enjoy fellowship with you, have fellowship with you. He's calling you to a separated life, because the Lord Almighty himself is totally, totally separated from sin. 
and for that matter is looking for sheep that are holy. Now you understand the meaning of my sheep know me, and they have been called by election from God. God the Father, from his hand he gave to me. The ones he gave to me are mine. Nobody ever snatches from me. But they have a duty to observe holiness and blamelessness. There is something to observe. To observe holiness and separation. God is looking for a holy church, especially in these days, when we are sitting on the verge of eternity. And yet the Lord is very much aware that in this life it is virtually impossible to achieve the requisite holiness of God, considering the decay, the moral decay at work. You enter like this, someone is not dressed well. You enter like this, on t- you watch TV like this, immorality being spewed. You go this with corruption. So he knows it's virtually untenable, considering the current state of the affair on the earth, to achieve the requisite holiness of God in this life. But he has facilitated you for that matter. If you turn the book of Ephesians, he has facilitated you for that matter. If you see Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says the following. It says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guarantee our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So he says that there is an election. But God being aware that you are not able to attain the holiness required in this life, he has facilitated you, the Holy Spirit, to be able to empower you differently, facilitate you now to achieve a holy Christian life. Remember, the Lord is holy. And that's why he's saying clearly here, in John chapter 3, verse 3, that unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 3. Unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And yet in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access to faith into his grace, in which we now stand. This is a very powerful statement he makes in this text, in this scripture. Meaning, the Lord now is able to justify those that pursue holiness under the facilitation of the Holy Spirit. You have a role as a church. Once the Lord has guaranteed your grace, salvation by the grace, you have a role to sustain a holy Christian life. And that's why he says, out of there, then you are justified. And then when you are justified, he then now raises the exalts obedience to God. Because now the word of God that you immerse yourself in becomes your hiding place. You are now hidden in the word of God. When you hide the word of God in your heart, the word of God essentially now hides the you, the, the whole you. So now you receive Christ. You pursue holiness. Receive the grace. Walk in holiness. Justified because of that now, the Lord has justified you by election, the deposit of the Holy Spirit to facilitate you. And the Word now facilitates, you are being hidden in the Word, you are being, you are being hidden from the moral decay to the extent that now you are totally obedient to God without any single impediment. He says, if he that is in use that much great, who can come against you? And then in the process, the Lord helps you now to become a living sacrifice. In other words, your character now becomes Christ-like. And you die to self, you die to sin, and then become a new creation. And once you are transformed into this new birth, then you attain the character of Christ and make bodily choices in your life, get to your earthly nature, and then you begin to love the things of God, even as you're in that office and wherever you are. So I want to finish here for today because we have a service tonight. But I want you to be asking yourself these very substantive questions in your life. As to how have I lived at this workplace? How do they know me? Do they know me as someone born again or someone lasting at women in this office? Do they know me as a woman of God born again or a woman that looks at men as though she's longing for them in a, in a sexual nature? What, what is the reputation you've established in that office? Because I've said, when Jesus said, follow me, when he said to you, follow me, 
He also meant pick up your cross as we saw in the book of Matthew 16:24. Pick up your cross and follow me. And that means embrace the suffering of persecution, live a separated life for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. And that if you are aware that there is a heaven to go to, which we are going to, and that there is hell where some people that are not obeyed the call to follow him will go to. And if you are aware that there is a final day of judgment, then you take it to the extreme gravity to follow Jesus faithfully and to make sure you understand that we are created to serve the kingdom of God. So I want to finish right there and ask you to receive the Lord, those who want to. Just repeat this simple prayer tonight. Say, Mighty Lord Jesus, I have heard and understood that your command is a summon that we should follow you. And today I yield to your command to follow you. And I totally surrender my heart to you today and ask you, my Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and establish your holiness and your righteousness in my heart and seize on me in the things of God, the things of righteousness, the things of holiness, the word of God, and fill me with the Holy Spirit to facilitate this pilgrimage I've embarked on tonight that I may be able to see the eternal kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, all the way to the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. I want to enter the eternal state of God when it's all said and done. So command my steps. Facilitate me the Holy Spirit. Empower me that I may resist sin. And teach me to be a good follower, a good disciple of Christ. To evangelize your gospel. To do the bumper harvest that I may lower the nets to the deep at your command and harvest a lot of people for your kingdom. In the mighty name of Jesus, I am born again. Amen. So once you say that prayer, blessed people, I just want to wish you a wonderful afternoon. May the Lord bless you. Again, this has been your daily lunchtime bread. The Lord Jesus is coming. Be holy. Be righteous. Live a separated life. Always endeavor to reach out to the next person. Ask them, are you born again? Tell them about this wonderful life that you've encountered. May the Lord bless you. Tadashalom. Thank you.